0: When Napster came out in 1999, it was a complete phenomenon. It totally changed digital music, and it totally changed the entire music industry. Today we'll talk about the genesis of Napster and why it was so important. (laughs) Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible.
1: Today we're taking another look back in history of, of software and we're going to explore Napster. I guess we should just start with what was Napster and when did it come to being?
0: Napster was a file sharing service that came out in 1999 and it was really concentrated on the sharing of MP3 files, which of course are generally used as digital music files, although they can be used for recording any kind of sound. So Napster was created by two teenagers actually, Sean Parker and Sean Fanning. And they were just really not knowing what they were getting themselves into when the whole story started. Sean Fanning was more on the technical side and Sean Parker, I'd call him more like the hype man. He was mm-hmm. kind of more on the on the business side. Mm-hmm. But Sean Fanning was the one who originally created the first Napster application, so so wrote most of the code for the first app. And I remember seeing in an interview, he actually said it was his first Windows app in C++. So pretty successful first app, I yeah. have to say. Um, and when Napster came out, there really wasn't a lot of file sharing yet on the Internet. And we have to think about kind of the technologies that were going on at this time. What was going on in 1999, Rebecca? Well,
1: the big one that I think about is getting internet at home.
0: Yeah. Internet access was really just expanding for the first time in the United States a great deal. And I should mention that Napster was founded in the United States in Boston. So people were getting dial-up internet for the most part, but the first broadband connections were also starting to thrive across the country too. But most people were on dial-up. And modem technology at the time was 56 kilobits per second, which is not very fast uh, compared (laughs) to what we have today. For example, you and I at our house, we have a gigabit connection, Mm -hmm. which is several orders of magnitude faster than 56 kilobits. Anyway, so people were just getting internet access at home, and there really hadn't been a lot of file sharing services, certainly for digital music, before Napster. Napster was really a pioneer.
1: So folks had actual access to the, to the internet. They didn't have to go somewhere to get it. And that just opens up opportunities. One of the other things is that MP3 was more available to folks or are being right. developed.
0: Yeah. MP3, the file format, came out in the mid-1990s. And it really wasn't very widespread until the late 1990s for a couple of reasons. One is just that any new technology takes a while to spread out. But number two is that actually computers weren't fast enough to do live decoding of MP3s until the mid to late 1990s. What do you mean
1: by live decoding?
0: Meaning that you have the original compressed file, and at the same time that it's being decompressed, you can actually hear the output. Mm. So if it takes so long to decompress it that you can't actually do that in real time, then you have to first wait for it to be decompressed. Maybe that decompressed fragment of audio is then stored in some kind of buffer or even stored on disk. And then you can play it back if, if your computer is not fast enough to do it in real time. But if it's fast enough to do it in real time, you can literally double click the file and it's decoding it at the same time that it's playing it so that you get that more instantaneous experience. Mm-hmm. And so obviously until we had that, MP3 was not going to be super convenient for most people or something that they would want to use until computers were really fast enough. So we, that's two things. So we had the internet And we also home internet usage specifically. We had home internet usage, and we also had the MP3 file format and computers that are fast enough for it. There was actually a third thing too that was leading to digital music really proliferating. Do you know what what else was going on in the late 1990s?
1: I'm not sure. I don't.
0: CD writers on home computers. Oh yeah. So CD-ROMs had already been around since the 80s, and they had already become pretty standardized on home computers by the mid-1990s. But by the late 1990s, we were also starting to get CD writers, so devices within your machine that could actually burn CDs. And so then you could take a bunch of MP3s and turn them into a CD, and most people were still listening to audio in the late 1990s, not on their computers, but on CDs, whether that be in their car, or whether that be on their stereo system, Uh, etc.
1: More importantly than just the CDs, you also had the stick, you could make the stickers to make your own artwork for your CDs,
0: right? You had these specialized printers and specialized labels. I mean, there was so much stuff that nobody (laughs) thinks about anymore. Right. Um, Anyway, so we had the perfect kind of storm for Napster to come about. We had all of these different technologies coming together and just becoming viable Mm -hmm. in 1999. And so they come out with the Napster client. It first comes out for Windows and it's right away very successful. Within a few months, they're garnering hundreds of thousands and then millions of users. It really takes off.
1: And how does Napster actually work?
0: So Napster had a centralized server. You would download the client. The client would connect to the centralized server and the server would provide an index of all of the people who are connected to the Napster service. And so it would then know when you searched for some particular song that you wanted, which other user had that song. And so it would then connect you to that other user, and you would not actually download through their server, but you would download from that other user the file. So it was actually what we call peer-to-peer in the sense that end users were connecting to one another to transfer files. But facilitating that connection was the set one centralized server run by Napster.
1: So uh, I get on my computer, right? I'm looking for some song.
0: Britney, Britney Spears, Spears, Baby One More, uh, More Time. I was going right? to say
1: "In Sync," but fine. Okay. Britney Spears. Uh, I'm looking for that song. I see that. Um, I look through that server. I don't know necessarily I'm looking through the server, but I look, I'm looking through Napster. And Napster like, oh, hey, this guy Dave has that song. And I then make a separate connection with you to download that file.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when you double click my listing of that song in the Napster directory, then there's a connection made from your computer directly to my computer for transferring the file. Mm-hmm. So what we need to think about here is what are the legal ramifications of this setup? Because you're connecting to me and I'm actually giving you the file, not Napster. Napster, The file's not going first to Napster and then going down to you. But Napster facilitated us sharing the file and has built-in facilities specifically for searching music. And the vast majority of users are searching for copyrighted music Music that it is actually illegal to copy from one person's computer to another person's computer if the person who's getting the copy doesn't also own a legal copy of it. So this got them into a lot of hot water pretty quickly. But maybe before we get into all of the legal parts, I think we should just mention how incredible it was that, again, this was another startup company founded by just two young people, really. And they they got a bunch of other employees pretty soon after that and investors and some more professional management to come in as well. But it's pretty amazing what a revolution uh, young people can really start. I mean, if we think about a lot of the most amazing tech companies uh, of the last 30, 40, 50 years, they were founded oftentimes by just a couple of young people. And this is another one of those stories because Napster would go on to just totally upend the music industry. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool to, to think about. How how it also just shifted the music industry itself. Even yeah. though it didn't have, Napster didn't last that long.
0: Yeah, it only lasted for two years. And we should think about where the music industry was at that time. It was all about CD sales. Mm-hmm. So people would actually go to record st- stores. It wasn't yet a lot online. Um, most CD sales were happening with you actually physically going to Tower Records or Virgin Megastore <laughs> or Sam Gutty and buying a physical CD, taking it home. And most people were not actually putting it on music on their computers yet either. Most people were just listening to that CD in a stereo or in their car. Unless they
1: wanted to make their mix CDs.
0: Right. And so that was what was happening, though, is that now that there was this MP3 technology, people were starting to take those CDs they bought in a physical record store and put them on their computer. That's called ripping. That means taking the CD converting its very high quality audio, actually the audio on a CD is, is extremely high quality, and converting it into this lower quality format MP3. And we should mention that MP3 audio, as I said earlier, is actually compressed meaning, and it's not actually what's called lossless compression, it's lossy compression, meaning that you're losing, that's where the word lossy comes from, some of the information. When you go from a CD and you turn it into an MP3 file, you're actually removing some of the sound quality. And you're doing that so that the file can take up a lot less space using these advanced compression algorithms. Why do you want it to take up less space? Well, so that it takes up less space on your hard drive, and so that it's also actually easier to transfer over the internet as well. But when you do that, you lose a little bit of quality and MP3 files are not as high quality as CDs are. And so you, we have actually, even to this day, when we stream music, most of the time, whether we're using Apple Music or Spotify, we're not actually streaming it at CD quality. So in a certain sense, back then in 1999, when people were taking CDs at record stores and putting them into stereos, they were actually listening to better quality audio than most of us still are today, which is pretty interesting to think about. Anyway, would yeah. you
1: say that Napster took um, advantage of some technological advancements that were happening, as opposed to maybe creating really powerful software to
0: to do that? Yeah. So the Napster software itself, at least at the beginning, was not actually an MP3 player. It was just a facilitator of transferring the MP3 files. So if the other software hadn't already existed, which were MP3 players, we're talking about software like, you know, Windows Media Player or iTunes or... Um, there were a lot of others back then, RealPlayer, etc. All these different pieces of software that could decode MP3 files. If they didn't exist, there couldn't have been a Napster. So yeah, they were actually um, a product of the development of MP3 rippers, So MP or what we call MP3 encoders technically. Uh, Software that can take CDs and turn them into MP3 files and also MP3 players that, as I talked about earlier, can actually do it in real time. If that software hadn't already existed, there wouldn't be a Napster, and that software was just coming out in the late 1990s. Things were going really well for them. Uh, Eventually, a Macintosh client came out too, and Napster got up to having tens of millions of users. Pretty incredible, and it got really popular, especially on college campuses. Not only because young people are into music and they're more maybe connected to new technologies, but also because college campuses tended to be the first places that were getting really good internet connections. (laughs) And so you could transfer files even faster between Mm. you and your friends using Napster on college campuses. And so it really was taking off. And then, of course, the people in the music industry were not thrilled.
1: Yeah, because no one was paying for their music.
0: Right, people were stealing music, and some people might disagree with the use of the word "stealing," because uh, some people disagree with some of our intellectual property laws. But what was definitely going on is that some people were getting files that they didn't pay for, and they they were um, essentially getting files and listening to music that before they would have had to gone have gone to a record store and bought a CD to get access to. And some of the people that were really not thrilled about this were the Recording Industry of America, and they're represented by the RIAA, and also some individual bands like Metallica and the artist Dr. Dre were some of the most instrumental in creating lawsuits against Napster. And these lawsuits said, well, you're facilitating copyright infringement. It might not be that you're directly hosting the files, so you're not literally on your server having all these MP3 files that people are downloading but you're making it really easy for people to trade them. In fact, you have specific search mechanisms for people to search for music. And what we found is that the vast majority of the files being transferred are actually copyrighted music files. And so even though you might not be wholly responsible, some of the responsibility has to be on the users that are sharing their files. You are responsible for facilitating this. And so that was the legal argument, and the legal argument was successful. It was so successful, in fact, that defending itself in these lawsuits, Napster actually went bankrupt.
1: Mm-hmm. And part of it was that they um, they would have had to change their process if they were going to keep existing, right? They couldn't be facilitating anymore.
0: Right. So they they would have to do one of three things. They would either have to become a music store. So actually you, you pay for the music and you download it and there's a licensing agreement with the music companies. They would have to become a streaming service where like Apple Music today or Spotify today, where you, you're, you're renting the music, for, for lack of a better word, or they would have to completely decentralize so that they're not specifically facilitating through one server all of these transactions. And they Um, just
1: couldn't do those things.
0: Well, they did try to turn into a streaming service, but that actually happens like in a totally second incarnation of the company. The company went bankrupt, and then their assets were sold off to Mm -hmm. other companies who then basically just reused the brand. It wasn't really the same technology, but reused the brand to create streaming services later on. But the problem with having a centralized server is that there's one point for... Um, a lawsuit to shut down. So later file sharing services like Nutella or Kazar BitTorrent have more decentralized networks. Where Napster was peer-to-peer in that the files were going from one end user to another, there was just one server that you could take down with a legal action. But in these newer services, there's no single server that you can take down. There's so many individual points of contact for people to connect through that it's impossible to actually just take them down. It's like playing whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. You take down one or two, and there's many others, and other ones will spring up. So later file-sharing services were more decentralized than Napster, and so they became impossible to completely shut down.
1: So even though Napster didn't last too long, right, only a couple years before um, before going bankrupt... They have a huge legacy on the way that we interact with music.
0: Right. They really popularized the idea that we use our computers to listen to music. They popularized the idea of peer-to-peer file sharing, which became not just something used for music, but also used for software and movies, etc., a lot of what people do with that is legally dubious, of course, but um, there's also good uses of that technology as well. And you might disagree with intellectual property anyway, some of you listening. Um, as an author, I like intellectual property, <laughs> but uh, but there's certainly a debate to be had there. But they popularized all these technologies. They came around at the right time with the right software to really change the way that people listen to music and the way that people transferred files on the Internet. And so that was really exciting. And I will say that they were clearly some some bright people because a lot of them went on to be very successful after Napster. For example, Sean Parker, who was more like I would call kind of the hype man of Napster, he actually became the first president of Facebook. And he's been a serial entrepreneur and had a lot of other success. And he's now a billionaire. Sean Fanning, who was more of like that first programmer. And, you know, back when Napster was going on, he was on the cover of Time Magazine and he really was, was kind of a celebrity at the time. Uh, he went on to also be kind of a serial entrepreneur doing a lot of other technical ventures. I wouldn't say from what I, I've read that he's been as successful as Sean Parker, but he certainly um, had s- several other significant he's ventures. Well he's done well for himself. And then um, somebody I follow on Twitter actually, and I'll put a link to his Twitter account in the show notes because I think he has a pretty good Twitter account for those of you that are into technical stuff, is Ali Adar. He was actually the first non-founder employee and he did a lot of the the server work and and early technical work on Napster, and he went on to found Sporkle, which is kind of like a fun. Um, I think it's like a quiz site that I've, I think I've used it a few times, and mm-hmm. game site for keeping your mind fresh. And so he's been very successful too. So this was clearly a, a great set of. Intelligent people working on this they totally changed the industry and they weren't just one hit wonders. They went on to do mm-hmm. um, Exciting other things after Napster. So Napster is really a big deal. You know our generation you and I are in our 30s we Napster was a big part of what was going on in terms of music when we were in high school mm-hmm. and and then to people a little bit older than us in, in college People were using Napster like crazy. It was like a big phenomenon. And it was really, I think, the main way that people were listening to music for a short period there From that were our age, from mm-hmm. 1999 to about 2001. Um, and we really... Like sometimes there's just one piece of software where you can say that was a milestone. Like that was the thing that changed people's behavior. And if I had to say that there was one thing that really said people are going to start listening to music on their computers and on digital devices instead of in stereo systems, I would say it would have to be Napster. Napster was that big thing. What came soon after it was the iPod and iTunes. And of course, the iPod, when it came out in 2001, which is at the end of 2001, just after Napster's finishing up, um, it supported MP3 files. And there were other file sharing services. And sure, people were ripping their CDs, but they were also using shared files. But then what tried to displace Napster was paid music stores, because of course, the music industry got smart. And they said, listen, we got to start licensing our music to people who are going to distribute it online. Otherwise, people are just going to keep stealing it because it's just so much more convenient than going to a record store. And the first really successful music store was the iTunes music store from Apple. And so that was one of the things that allowed the iPod to be so successful was that the iTunes music store came out. But it's very possible that we never would have had... The iTunes Music Store, if we hadn't had Napster first, proving that people really wanted to listen to music on their computers. Yeah,
1: I was just going to say, Napster was a proof of concept.
0: Right, and it scared the music industry enough for them to make a deal with someone who was going to do it legitimately like Apple. I mean, the music industry was kind of stuck in the dark ages of how they were thinking about distribution. And it took the both the fear that they got from Napster and the chutzpah of Steve Jobs to get them to actually sign up to to let their music mm-hmm. be sold on the iTunes Music Store. So I think all this stuff would have happened eventually anyway, but it might not have happened as quickly if it hadn't been for Napster. All right. Well, it was fun talking to you about Napster. How can people get in touch with us on Twitter?
1: So we're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S.
0: And we want to thank everybody for listening. We want to remind you that right now, you've probably been listening to us for a while because you're probably a subscriber and that's where most of our listens come from. If you really want to help the show, leave us a review on iTunes. I said iTunes. That's what we were talking about today. Apple Podcasts, Mm -hmm. no longer iTunes. Uh, Spotify, just follow us or leave us a little mark on Google Podcasts or a star on Overcast. It really helps other people find out about the show. And we look forward to talking to you next week.
1: Thanks for listening.